Hi, everyone. Welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm really excited about today's episode because I met Caroline a couple of weeks ago at Hannah's wedding, which I'll get into in a second. But today's guest, her name is Caroline Taj. She's a 24-year-old entrepreneur and business owner of Sweets by Caroline, a pop-up bakery that specializes in French macaroons, cakes, and Asian-inspired desserts located in Maryland. She grew up baking with her mom and turned her passion for baking into a business when she was in college. You can find Caroline at various markets and food festivals throughout the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. And it's so cool because I went down to D.C. in October of 2023 and was there attending Hannah and James's wedding, Hannah of Salary Transparent Street. And I just so happened to be honored meeting Caroline and obviously tasting her amazing macaroons, which had their dog and their cats affixed to them. So it was really cool. And also like getting to know Caroline, I just was like, oh my God, I need to know about the baking industry. I'm like a diehard macaroon obsessed person. Like it's my lifelong goal at some point to understand and learn how to make macaroons. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was an honor to meet you. When I was at the wedding, I was like, I didn't really know anyone besides like Hannah and James. And it was just nice to meet you and like connect with you. And congrats on your recent podcast award that's amazing and such a great accomplishment so it's an honor to be here with you today so I'm excited yeah yeah thank you that's right I don't think I got the award by the time I was in DC I think it happened after yeah but yeah it was really cool too because I went alone as well and so like what Caroline said like we kind of it was just a bunch of like Hannah's entrepreneur friends and of course naturally us being networkers it like worked perfectly because we all got along but it was like such a great moment of just like okay cool like other people who were doing dope shit so Can you give everyone a backstory of like, how did you become a baker? Why did you become a baker? Like why this of every other bazillion avenues you can choose here, you know, in the States as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So my journey was not always in the baking field. I grew up baking with my mom, just like the cake mix. She would always make our birthday cakes. And so I just naturally always just loved to bake. And like that artistic side of me was always into painting, drawing, and just like baking all things creative. As I got closer to like college and like figuring out what I wanted to do, that was kind of always a big question mark for me. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. My goal was to go, my dream school was to go to University of Maryland, College Park. And I was waitlisted for school. And I think, I still feel like there is a stigma now, but I ended up going to community college. I also went to community college too. It was the best decision I ever made, honestly. I agree. I keep on saying I'm such a big advocate for community college because I feel like people don't realize that there's a lot of like scholarship money, just like a lot of opportunities there. And if you don't know what you want to do in school yet or like what you want to do next, I feel like that's a great next step to just start figuring out what you want to do. So I was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship at my community college. So that kind of helped me figure out what I want to do, what journey, what classes and things like that I wanted to do. My parents really wanted to push me to do accounting and finance. And I was like, I really don't want to do that, but I'll just go into it to like, please my parents. And so I went in as an accounting finance major. I took my first accounting class and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> couldn't see myself in it and so I was just always stressed I didn't really like school and so I turned to baking again just like as a fun creative avenue and when I was at community college I ended up just participating in a pitch competition for fun just for like the networking experience like the opportunities that came from that the workshops that were from that pitch competition and wasn't expecting anything from it 
but I ended up pitching and making it into the semifinals and then making it to the final round of the competition and ended up winning and that oh my god yeah what like what a sign of like okay we're going in the right direction like sorry mom (laughs) I gotta I gotta go with this exactly that was like my big aha moment and just like a sign and just like a boost of confidence that like okay I can pursue this hobby this passion and possibly turn it into a business so that was kind of like what soft launched it and then I got my associates I went to the University of Maryland and I double majored in marketing. Very smart, by the way. (laughs) As you know, it's like half the battle in in business is marketing. Exactly. I was like, okay, if I don't end up doing the business out of college, like I'll still have marketing supply chain. And I also minored in a little bit of entrepreneurship just to like tie it all together if I really wanted to do the business out of college. So when I was at the University of Maryland, I did another pitch competition and then I was able to incorporate my business into an LLC. So that was what also was like a catalyst for the business to like keep going and yeah after I finished school I was like I don't really know still what I want to do but like I love to bake and I was doing it while I was in school like part-time taking orders going to class running back to my apartment like baking a cake and then the pandemic happened my senior year and I moved back home and I feel like it kind of all worked out perfectly because I was able to do Zoom and like bake and do things on the side and take more orders. And yeah, that pandemic kind of taught me how to navigate and just pivot the business. It was shipping. I looked into shipping. I looked and met so many other people through the pandemic, bakers through the pandemic. So yeah, like that was kind of, that's kind of just like my journey of how I started from just a hobby, a passion and was able to decide that I wanted to turn it into a business. So post-graduation, I decided to pursue it full-time officially. Yeah. Then two it, years. It's usually how it starts, which is so funny because podcasting for me also started as a hobby, like something to mm-hmm. keep me sane during the pandemic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, we're like doing this for realsies. Like, yeah. okay. And I mean, it's it, like, okay, now I have another, like, do you feel that turning your passion into your business has kind of hindered like you you love it a little less or do you love it a little more or is that kind of like it's it's a day you take it day by day sometimes you love it more sometimes you're like why did I choose this like what am I doing it's like day to day sometimes I'm like I'm so glad with where everything is going and then other days I'm like I don't want to bake anymore I just want to lay in bed I just don't want to why did I take this order like why did I (laughs) but yeah it's it's kind of like juggling both of them yeah kind of both I mean, the cool thing is we get to choose what we do versus feeling like obligatory of what we do every single day. So like, yeah, once you like kind of bring it back to center, you're like, no, no, we chose to do this. Like there might be, you know, place in the future where we get more help so we can love it more or pivot or whatever. But ultimately, right, it kind of chose you. So basically right out of college, you just started business full force. Like you didn't have a regular corporate job or anything like that. You just were going full force. Yeah, I just decided to do a full time because I was like, well, my God, I, I mean, you already had the demand, like it made sense, you know? Yes. Yeah, it makes sense in my head. But like the other part of my brain was like, I shouldn't do it. It's not safe. And just like my parents really didn't want me to go into it because it's just like not steady. And it's mm-hmm. just that's new to them because they're they're immigrants from Vietnam. And, you know, when they were growing up, they didn't have that background of entrepreneurship or like that was something that was very risky to them. It's like 
get an, a full degree in college, get out, have a full-time steady income job insurance, like things like that, that they are familiar with. So entrepreneurship was kind of like, don't do that. That's like very risky. Don't do it. So yeah, coming out of school, I was dancing around the idea of still doing it part-time and maybe finding a full-time job. But in my head, I was like, that's almost going to be the same as if I was still in school. I was doing it part-time, doing school full-time. Like I haven't fully given it a chance and put my 100% into it. And I was like, I'm still young. I, I'm going to do it for a year. Like the ultimatum that I gave my parents because they were like, you're crazy. Don't do it. I told my dad, give me a year to prove it to you that I can do it. Give me a year to just try it full time, put everything into it and show you that it's sustainable. And if it's not, then I'll stop and I'll find a job, whatever. And it's been like two years now and it's just been going. And yeah, it's been awesome. So they've come around since then? Kind of. My mom is like very supportive about it. My dad is like supportive in certain areas, but he's still kind of like not really understanding of what's going on or like yeah. what I'm doing, but he's still like trying to be supportive. So they're they're coming around. <laughs> yeah. So with that being said, was I mean, obviously you have your support from them, which is great, but like I'm sure there was a transition mentally, physically, like from home baking to right, you call it commercial baking. And then thinking about scaling, like, so what, what has that been like? Yeah. So I, throughout like my college years, I was considered a cottage food baker. So that's where you can bake from home. It varies per county or like state, but it's basically where you can bake from home as long as you make under a certain amount and follow the guidelines of the cottage food laws within your state and county. So I was baking from home for the most of the beginning years of my baking business and then it was kind of outgrowing my home kitchen so just like a bunch of macarons it was taking so long and it just wasn't efficient anymore so that was when I started to look into commercial kitchens basically like a ghost kitchen where a bunch Mm -hmm. of bakers or caterers can rent like a commercial space to cook or bake out of and produce so that was kind of like what I was looking into for like the last two years of me baking at home, I really wanted to make the transition, but it was just very aggressive and very scary. Also, yeah, you have to like sign a lease and commit to like overhead, you know, all of that. And like being at home, it's free, but right. It's like the double-edged sword of like, do we spend the money and invest in a new space Mm -hmm. with more, you know, tools and things like that? Or do we bank all the money and maybe it takes a little bit longer, right? So it's like time versus energy thing. But so to backtrack a second, so there's a law where if you're making a certain amount from baking at home, you have to get a commercial kitchen to work in? Like you can't do it at home or no? I think it's, I can't remember what specifically it is in the cottage food law. I, I feel like it has also changed since I've been, since I've moved into the commercial space. But from what I understood, it was like, as long as you make under this certain amount within your state or county that you're able to still bake from your home. And then if you're producing more or more of whatever that is then you would have to find a commercial space yeah interesting wow of course they like that's so weird that they would like get their weird no yeah (laughs) that's so weird there's a lot of things with like cottage food like there are certain things that you can't bake at home like there was a point where macarons weren't considered cottage food anymore because there were certain testings that you needed to get with the macarons or like the recipe that you use you have to go get it tested otherwise you can't bake it from home 
I think it's just for like food safety, but like I'm sure. But like it, that's also like yeah. it's so weird. Like, okay, let's yeah. let's make our lives more difficult. Why don't exactly. we? And then stick on a, probably a fee. I'm like, that's yeah. cute. <laughs> okay, yeah. whatever. He's gonna weed you out. I feel like that's what kind of that they're trying to do with the cottage food law now. But I understand that it's for safety, but I know that cottage food or cottage food baking is also like a livelihood for a lot of people where they can just bake from home, like bake bread, mm-hmm. like make, you know, certain foods from home and that's like their full-time job or something. So I feel like now the cottage food laws are kind of a little more strict than what they were before, but understandable. Yeah. That's kind of, it kind of stinks because it forces you into yeah. like, if you want to scale, like even if you hired your kid to be your mm-hmm. assistant, let's say in the kitchen or something like you technically can't even go that route and make more money because you have to go the commercial route, which like if you're a right. mother who's a cook, I know a lot of bakers who are moms mm-hmm. who have like young toddlers who when they're doing nap time, they do their cake orders or something like mm-hmm. that. I I don't know. That's like rubs me a little bit the wrong way, mm-hmm. but I totally understand. Like, yeah. again, it laws are in place for a reason. But so with that, like how like what is the business baker model? Like that's always the most curious thing for me because, you know, macaroons are what, like three to five dollars a pop and then you have cakes which can be i don't know how much cakes are 30 bucks 50 bucks 60 however much they are based on size and requirements so like what does it usually look like for bakers and how can you like okay if you're thinking about scaling how can you make projections into the future and stuff like that because it's based on seasonal stuff and like yeah give me a little get us give us a little insight of what it's like yeah so for me my model is where at the beginning i was just taking whatever orders that i could Right. And then slowly as the business grew, I started being very selective on what orders I wanted to do or kind of like narrowing down the niche that I have. So very specific macarons, like macarons for parties, weddings. And then I also make character macarons. So that I was- love your character macarons. They are so <laughs> good. You are so talented. Thank you. Thank you. They're my favorite because I get to just be creative and like create whatever I want with the macarons. And it's very unique. So I knew that that was kind of like my niche. And then also with like cake decorating and cake baking, sticking with like Asian flavors or creating boutique style cakes. That was kind of like what I really liked and straying away from kids type of party cakes. I don't really do kids cakes, mostly like party, like wedding type of like elegant type of cakes. So as I started to grow kind of like the clientele and figuring out my niche, that was when I was able to figure out the pricing for that. So a lot of what I do for the macarons, a lot of it is pre-orders. So that's kind of what I do for the business model is pre-orders. So for holidays, like Lunar New Year, Valentine's, Christmas stuff, Thanksgiving stuff, there's always like the macaron set that I have for a certain holiday. So I'll do like two to three weeks, four weeks of marketing leading up to the holiday. And then I'll drop the pre-order day. And that's when, you know, people are starting to order, send out email lists, send out like SMS messaging, notifications and things like that to start advertising and pushing the pre-order link. And so then I have a pre-order link period where people can order and then we have a pickup day. So a lot of that's kind of the model that I do with pre-order system, although people pick up on a certain day. I also have like a custom order side, which is all on the website. People can order directly on the website. They pick a day, they choose whatever they want to be made. So yeah, that's kind of how I started and I still am doing that. I think at the beginning, when you first start, you kind of have to figure out 
where or how you want to advertise. So a lot of my advertising is through social media, Instagram. I feel like a lot of food people eat with their eyes first. So yeah, it's really pretty or photography, like photographing it really well so that people see that this is really visually appealing. They want it. They want to buy it. They want to try it. They want to take pictures of it. So that kind of how I push my products usually on social media. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of just like aesthetic and marketing mm-hmm. and stuff, like I'm seeing this trend in the I'm sh- in all industries, but specifically mm-hmm. in baking where like style and aesthetic and like a certain millennial 90s vibe. Like we have mm-hmm. these like I- I'm sure you've seen them. Actually, I think you've done them. We're like those like heart shaped cakes that yeah. are like vintage looking, like very trendy right now. And of course, you can like tack top dollar for them because there's like a lot of icing and detail and all that. So like at this point, or maybe we could talk about trends in the baking industry. How much is it about style and aesthetic and taste? Like there obviously needs to taste good, but a lot of it is probably like it needs to be pretty. That's like the whole IG, right? First reality Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Like how can we document it? So yeah, I think it's 50-50 like style and then 50% taste. Like the style part is what draws in the customer. If it's photographed well, if it looks presentable, they're going to be like, I want that. I want to buy that. And then once they taste it, that's like the factor of whether or not they're going to come back. So if your taste is amazing, they're going to come back or they're going to tell their friends about it. And that's I think that creates the cycle. So I feel like the image of it is kind of like the first thing. And then the taste is almost the second with how social media is these days. But of course, if you're like at a market or something, that's kind of how I sell my stuff, too, is at a farmer's market or at a pop up event or food festival. If people are trying it, then they're going to keep coming back. So I feel like if you can get your products in front of them to just try or even from a sample to just try it, then that's also going to keep them coming back. But I do feel like it's 50-50 now with like a lot of social media stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For developing like your flavor profiles and stuff, do you have Mm -hmm. like specific, obviously in the baking world, there's like, you know, there's like the basic vanilla and the basic this and this like have you developed your own flavor palette or are you still developing it? Like, is that even a thing in the baking world? I mean, you said you have Asian inspired sort of flavors too. So yeah, at the beginning, I wanted to just start with like vanilla, chocolate, like the basic flavors. And then as I started developing my flavors and like getting more into my culture, I wanted to express, you know, like flavors that I grew up with and like lychee, ube, like pandan like those type of flavors that I grew up with so that was when I started introducing it into my menu I feel like I was kind of scared to like introduce that when I first started baking because I didn't want to discourage like people from trying or wanting to come shop at my my events so I stuck with vanilla chocolate and then I was like that's just not me like that doesn't represent me so that was when I started incorporating things that I grew up with but yeah, I think now I'm kind of more confident in that area of like recipe developing flavors that I like, flavors that I grew up with, and wanting to push that so I can introduce that to my customers, something that they they never had, something that they can maybe relate to for my Asian customers. So yeah, I feel like still recipe testing a lot throughout the baking journey, seeing a lot of inf- inspiration from Instagram, like other bakers. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it is a really unique time, too, because I feel like thanks to us millennials, right? Of course, we're looking for aesthetics and stuff, but we are so much focused on the experience of things Mm -hmm. that we want to try new foods. We want to try new experiences. So like 
you introducing these flavors that maybe aren't necessarily like your average vanilla chocolate, like Americanized, honestly, boring flavors that are so overdone. Like it's exciting for people to try new things and say, oh, I really like this or I didn't know this existed or like, you know, whatever it is. Like even I think the beginning of last year was the first time I tried ube. And I was like, dude, what? And it's purple? Like, hell yeah. And of course, I love purple, right? So I'm like, double double whammy, like win-win, pretty and yummy. But yeah. had I not even seen that, like, and it would, if it wasn't offered, I would have never known because, again, you don't know what you don't know. But I love the, that people are bringing more flavors that are outside the U.S. and doing a lot of blends in different areas. So it, it's just super cool. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's awesome to see what people are transforming, like, flavors that they grew up with and mod like you know incorporating fusion of different styles so it's very cool to see that all happening now yeah 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 so and speaking of instaverse reality what are some things that people wouldn't expect from being a baker yeah i think something that a lot of people probably might not expect is that things are expensive and not everything is cheap now um there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into baking it's not just like you know i feel like Right now, I've been seeing a lot of bakers post on Instagram like reels and stuff where they talk about people reaching out to them for like a quote on something. And then when they give them the price that they're kind of like taken aback or that they'll receive backlash for whatever price it is that they're offering for their product. And I think a lot of customers just don't realize that ingredients are expensive. Like when you add everything up together, Ingredients are already a big cost. Um, the time that you put in responding to an email, there was the time that you put in going out to get the ingredients, the time that you take to source these certain, you know, pieces for the cake. Like a lot of things are very custom and that it takes a lot of time. So I feel like when people see a price of like $150 or $200 for something that's custom made, that they're kind of like, oh, I can make that or, oh, I, I'll just go to Walmart. Like I can get it at Walmart for $30 or $50 or something. Like I don't need you to make it. But when you're coming to someone that makes custom macarons, custom cakes, that there's a lot of artistry, a lot of like time that goes into making it that you just can't get from Walmart. Like, yes, you can go to Walmart and get whatever you want. But if you want something that's custom, that there's a lot of time and behind the scenes that go into making that product. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of the Instagram versus the reality type of thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a lot on TikTok where bakers will get mm -hmm. backlash yeah. and like or I it's so I find it so rude to a lot of the things I've been seeing is people will place an order and then they don't like they don't pick up the order. And you see people like scraping off frosting off a frozen cake or like having to start over. It's like I feel so bad. Like, I can't even imagine not only like the amount of money it is for icing and like good quality icing mm -hmm. and stuff, but like the time it takes to pipe. Like, holy yeah. crap. Like, it, it's a lot of time to do these things. No, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, just if you don't want to get the cake, then just go go to Walmart or get some other cake. But like, don't come for people that this is their livelihood. This is like the art that they do and like respect their job and what they do what would you say like what's the most exciting part about being a baker mm -hmm. i would say the most exciting part is the different opportunities and the people that i've met i do a lot of pop-up markets like food festivals so i 
feel like I meet a lot of people on Instagram, like my customers and like we'll talk on Instagram or like other chefs that I'll meet on social media. So I feel like I've developed a relationship with them like on Instagram and then meeting them in person is like totally different. You finally get to see them. You finally get to like talk. So it's great to see a lot of my customers come to my events and like finally be able to meet them and put a face to Instagram and just see the support from them is really, really amazing. And I'm, I feel very lucky to have such an amazing community around me. So being able to meet the people, being able to have different opportunities that I never would have knew would come from just baking macarons. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was able to do, I did a collaboration with Cyber. It was a CD Project Red. They produced the Cyberpunk game and I was able to do like a collaboration with them and send out like custom macarons for their PR team and just people on their PR list. So that was like one of the coolest things ever like I never knew I would have been able to do that ever so just opportunities like that are very fun and I'm sure too as a baker like as you witness people tagging you in stories and stuff and Mm -hmm. like like you know it might be like oh you're just baking a cake but it's like no you are like adding to the experience of this Mm -hmm. party of this bachelorette of this moment of this wedding day like you are part of that moment that really special moment And I don't know, that's something to be really cool. You might not physically be there, but it's a part of you that's enhanced that experience to make it their best day ever or like whatever it is, which is like super cute. Yeah, very lucky to have people like customers that trust me for their weddings or like baby showers, things like that. So it's really cool to see. What are some unexpected challenges or like the unsexy side of baking that you've had to face over these past two years? Yeah, I feel like imposter syndrome has been one really big thing not thinking that I'm like good enough for certain things not thinking that I'm deserving of the opportunities that have come to me I feel like also with the journey of entrepreneurship you always feel like you're alone or I find that it's kind of hard to ask for help oh yeah for sure (laughs) yeah unless you pay for it and then you're like I really need to ask for help and you still don't ask for help like it's 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 a weird sort of it's also I think because our brains are wired to do everything on our own because that's what an entrepreneur is in the beginning when you're bootstrapped that finally when you have people around you who think like you you're like I'm not even like my brain isn't wired to ask for help because I didn't have anyone around in the beginning yeah exactly when I first started baking well still now but I it was mostly me baking everything and then there were people that were like we can help you like I want to work for you and so I was always kind of discouraged because I was like, no, like I can do it. Like I'll do it more efficiently. I can do it faster. Like I'll have to train these people. But then over time, I'm like, this is going to lead to burnout. Like you need to outsource and ask for help. That will make it even more efficient. Like you can Mm -hmm. focus on other things that, you know, you probably wouldn't have been able to do before. So asking for help has definitely been something that I'm still working on. But I encourage and hope that other people can also break out of that barrier and start asking for help wherever you can because there are people that want to help you and want to see you succeed so asking for help yeah and just like imposter syndrome of not thinking that I'm deserving of an opportunity or that I can do whatever it is and just shying away from those things so imposter syndrome has definitely also been a challenge for me yeah, I've had the same thing. And also there's, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like whenever I receive certain opportunities or things come my way, sometimes I'm like, 
it's almost like if I accept this, then that means I'm taking away an opportunity or whatever it is from someone else who might be more deserving of it because they're struggling or they've had more experience and time in the industry or like whatever number or slew of excuses you have for the reason. But it's, it never quite goes away. Like no matter how much success you have, it like never quite goes away. Yeah, exactly. It never goes away. I feel like it's always in the back of your mind and I'm just like, just go away. Just go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish there was a shortcut because that bitch needs to die like all the time, but she's just here to stay. I mean, it, it, it makes me more human, which I can appreciate because it's like some people who don't admit to having imposter syndrome, I feel like you're, they're a bunch of robots. Mm-hmm. Like it's not normal. Like everyone fears something. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. But, I so this is really great. I'm also really excited. Like so, uh, maybe is this a question? Maybe just for me. But like, if someone wanted to learn macaroon, like macarooning, is that how the phrase or making macaroons? Like making macarons, yeah. Like what's like what's how could people start? What are like the top three steps you could take to like dive into it? Because it's intimidating as fuck. I'm like, I'm gonna burn all my shells. I need all these materials. I need that rubber mat. Like I don't have a like what's yeah. I would say start on YouTube. I feel like I'm a very visual learner, so I need to see the process and like how it's done. So that's how I started. I started reading blogs to find a recipe, testing that out, but also watching a YouTube video on how to make a macaron or how to make macarons. There are different methods to making it. There's the French, Italian, Swiss method, and they all have like different processes and like some of them are a little bit more difficult to do. Some of them are easier to do. I do the Italian method. I feel like that's easier because macarons require a bunch of eggs and that's kind of how they rise and like form the little feet that they have. So the Italian method provides a more stable batter, which then helps produce a better outcome of macarons with the little feet. I feel like the Italian method kind of produces a better macaron in my opinion because that's the method that I do but I know that there are a bunch of videos a bunch of blogs now with people just teaching you how to make it and even like people on Instagram that will just go on live to like show you how to make macarons so I feel like starting out with just YouTube whatever supplies that you have at home like you just need your pan parchment paper you don't really need any fancy tools macarons are very little ingredients just almond flour powdered sugar and eggs so okay yeah yeah just to make the shell so i feel like just watch youtube video and keep trying my first like five six times were awful what do you like because the taste or they were just all broken they just they would always crack all the time yeah what do you do when they're cracked like do you use it for something else or yeah so sometimes i'll just sell them or just make like a like a little box and fill it with like a bunch of like broken shells because they're really great for snacking or I'll just give them away to people or I've also seen a lot of people like grind up the shells and turn them into brownies like use it as like flour for the brownies oh that's so cool Mm -hmm. yeah so you can still repurpose it because it's just almond flour and sugar that's essentially that's in it yeah Oh my God, I didn't know that it was almond flour. That makes my gluten-free self so happy. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. They're gluten-free, naturally gluten-free. Wait, so how many eggs do you go through a day? It depends on the month, but for like a big event, if if I have a market on the weekend, like a two-day market on the weekend, I'll go through like six, seven, eight dozen eggs. Oh my God, that's so much. Wait, and it's egg whites, right? 
Yeah, egg white. Do you, yeah. do you save the egg yolks for something, or is it kind of like it's a lot of egg yolks to just like keep around for a rainy it's day? A lot of egg yolks. Like I'll give it to my parents to like cook into like some type of dish, or I'll give it to one of my friends to like use or something. But I can also turn it into like a lemon curd or reincorporate it back into baking. But there still is a lot of egg yeah. yolks. And I feel like there are more uses for egg whites in recipes than just singular yolks. Like, unless you're making, like, homemade eggnog or something, like, you really don't need that many, like, yolks. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So if you ever need any egg yolks, let me know. <laughs> okay. That's so interesting. I didn't really. I mean, it makes sense you'd use that many eggs. I just, you know, again, my I don't know baking. So I love baking, though. It's my favorite thing to do in the kitchen. But I'm not, like, to your level by any means. That's so interesting, though. But this was really great. I learned a lot. It, it, is there anything else you want to share with anyone? Like, if you if you could give advice to your younger self or maybe young bakers out there, like, what would that be? I would say just go for it, but then also to not compare yourself to other people. I think now with, like, social media, it's great that everything is, like, accessible. We can see other things that other people are doing, but it's also easy to, like, critique yourself or compare yourself to them like why am I not on their level like I've been doing it the same amount of years like why am I not doing what they're doing why are they opening up a store and I'm not opening up a store like just things like that and I feel like everyone is on their own journey and has their own process and are on different timelines so not don't compare yourself to other people because that would just do I feel like more harm to your mental health and your process alone so I think that's something that I would tell other people and to just just start wherever, even if it, if you don't have, you don't want to pursue it as a business or you're thinking about it, just make an Instagram, like start posting. That's kind of, kind of how I started. I just started posting macarons on Instagram and then I was able to meet other people, other bakers and form a community. So just post on Instagram. You never know what could happen from it take opportunities if you're in college or in high school find different opportunities that you know might pique your interest or just try it and you never know what could happen from it so just be open to trying things yeah Yeah. testing the market is always the number one thing to do Mm -hmm. before you really go full force in anything but this is really great for anyone listening caroline's info will be in the show notes if you want to find her on instagram or go to her website and order some delicious cakes or macarons But thank you so much for coming on. This is so exciting. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah.